Hi, I'm Walt Thiessen from the LOA Today podcast. If you've been listening to LOA Today for any length of time, you know that mindset plays a huge role in what we talk about with our guests each day. You know that mindset is something we all need to work on every day. After all, as researchers have discovered, the average human thinks a negative thought 80% of the time during his or her day every day. I've been thinking about that fact recently, asking myself, what can I do to help more people like you to reset your brains the way you want them reset? And I came up with an idea for an experiment, and I want to invite you to participate. I'm calling it the Brain Retrainers Club, and I've scheduled a Zoom meeting for Wednesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. New York time, and you're invited. It's free. To register, just visit loatoday.net forward slash brain. That's B-R-A-I-N, loatoday.net forward slash brain. See you there. Today, I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is the woman who knows how to set personal boundaries, Alex Standy. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Indeed we are, and uh, in continuing the uh, message that I've been giving to our listeners throughout the week, I want to give you an update on the uh, planned event we've got scheduled for a week from Wednesday, October 19th. Uh, we're now up to 29 people who have signed up to be participating in a thing that's two weeks away. That's a pretty good sign up at this point. I'm kind of pleased with that one. Uh, but uh, what we're going to be doing, we're calling it the uh, Retrain Your Brain or the Brain Retrainers Club. Uh, and it's an experiment. That's really all it is. It's an experiment. Let's see what happens when we get a whole bunch of people in the same Zoom room all focused on sharing high-vibe stuff, you know, what, what uh, appreciations and uh, – you know, rampages and, and exercises and anything that we can do as a group to just help ourselves retrain our brains. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, there is going to be a link in the show notes. You can look for it there. Uh, but just go to loatoday.net forward slash brain, B-R-A-I-N, and you'll be taken right to the link where you can sign up and be a part of it. So join us on the 19th and we'll be in for a good time. Alex is coming, right? I mean, so. Alex there. Alex loves a good rampage. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I know this. I've known this for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have a special guest joining us today. His name is Michael Chu. And Michael has uh, quite an interesting background. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He, he is a coach. He is a martial artist. He's into fitness and health. He's into a lot of really interesting stuff. We're going to learn a lot about that as we get to know him. He actually is the CEO of five seven-figure businesses. This is a guy who's pretty darn successful. So, okay. I mean, he's, he's living the life that we all talk about, the abundant life. And we're going to learn some things about him today. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And excited to be here. Thanks. Thanks for that interview. Glad to have you. So, okay, give us like the two-minute autobiography. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up in a small, small town in New Jersey, uh, like three, 4,000 people. Uh, both my mom and dad's side of the family both grew up farmers. So one thing that was instilled in me pretty early on was hard work. Uh, the whole martial arts thing started when I was three. 
Uh, I think the local karate school wouldn't let you, <laughs> wouldn't let you join until you're like five or six years old. But I badgered my parents so much that they put me in at three years old. 30 years later, here I am in martial arts is still a big part of what I do. Competed nationally and did all that. So I learned a lot from that. Got into business while I was in college uh, in, in Washington, D.C., where I was going to school. Super, super shy kid at that time. Um, like, I would never speak during presentations in class. Like, I was always the kid that wanted to make the PowerPoint, but don't make me speak. But entrepreneurship and sales really challenged me to step outside my comfort zone and was also the first thing that I really felt like I really stunk at. <laughs> and so... <laughs> It, it really challenged me. Like martial arts kind of, kind of, kind of came natural to me. Like school was okay. Like, but business was the first thing that really I felt like it's okay to be saying instead of stunk. Like I really actually just sucked at it. <laughs> like I, I didn't wow. even stink at it. I sucked at it. Um, but I think that's why I loved it. You know, and really? you said earlier, Walt, you said, um, you know, he's really living the life that we, so many of us want. Or you said a phrase like that. And when I, when I heard you say that, I said, yes, and. It's possible because of the ability of how we face challenges and um, our, our, our mentality like behind the scenes, man, the, the journey along that way. So two minute drill to wrap up. At that point, I took on the challenge of like, I really want to figure this out um, and led three different seven figure organizations, uh, launched a company five years ago that just last year in 5,000 top 500 fastest growing company in America. Uh, and now we have two different um, education and coaching offers. Uh, today. So that's kind of a two minute drill. Live here in Austin, Texas today. Uh, two beautiful little girls engaged to uh, Kayla. And that's my, that's my personal life. So that's me. That's beautiful. That's, that's wonderful. Love it. Right? Love it. And, and Alex, is it always the case? It always starts with mindset, right? What is he talking about here? How mindset. the mindset is like <laughs> out of there, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so t- let, tell us a little bit about mindset from your perspective, Michael. Hmm. Well, to me, well, well, one thing I, I heard you talking earlier about appreciation and I just wanted to chime in how, um, how much that comes up so often. And as someone who was raised with work ethic and discipline being such a foundational way to be successful, there did come a point where work ethic and discipline had a ceiling, right? And mm-hmm. that was really hard for me. Because I wanted to think I could just outwork everybody and it would take me to the next level. And I'd look around me and I would see people that I felt like were less talented, uh, working less hard, but being more successful uh, than me. And that's when I started to realize that work ethic is one piece of the puzzle. But what you're talking about mindset uh, is the other piece. And I had so many beliefs and stories that I had to actually level up or unlearn. So it's one thing to just be like positive mindset, positive mindset. But since you guys talk about law of attraction, whenever I talk about law of attraction, I also like to talk about the law of repulsion, which uh, right in the universal laws, everybody knows the law of attraction because of the book, the secret, and it became popularized because of that. But I don't think enough people talk about the law of repulsion. And if the law of the frequency of the law of repulsion is stronger than the frequency of the law of attraction, you're just going to wipe all that good mindset work out anyways. And the example or analogy I oftentimes use is like if someone's like, I just so badly want to be in a relationship. Right. And they're saying and affirming and doing all the mindset stuff. But if deeply rooted inside them, they believe that a relationship is going to cost them their independence or their freedom or they don't believe it's safe to be loved. They're going to find a way to keep self-sabotaging or repelling um, great relationships. And the same is true with money, et cetera. And so I could 
dive in further if we want, but there's all types of stories of my journey where I thought just law of attraction mindset by itself was going to get me there. But I also had to really look at the other side of the coin of law of attraction, and that being law of repulsion, um, because the law of correspondence states that whatever you're feeling internally on your inside, you're going to create a direct mirror in the world on the outside. So mm -hmm. if there's deeply rooted fears and stories and triggers and traumas in there, that stuff's got to get cleared out. You got to take the garbage out just as much as you want to, you know, affirm positive things as well. So when I think of mindset, I think of both sides of the coin. I think both are very important. Um, and that's, that's what I have found to be true in my life, at least. That's good. I like that. what the, what you call a um, law of repulsion is really, we call that law of attraction, but focusing on what you don't want. Basically the same idea. You keep focusing on what you don't want. Guess what? You're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all yours. In fact, yeah. you get it in spades over and over and over again. Yeah. Which is kind yeah. of annoying until you finally learn how the whole thing works. But yeah. <laughs> totally. totally. Well, the reason why I like to talk about both, even, well, I agree with you completely. Like focusing on what you don't want is law of attraction at play as well. The, the part where like for my own journey, I had to address the law of repulsion is I remember I was doing affirmations and I was meditating or I was visualizing and some of those things just felt like in my body that like they weren't happening. And I remember I was starting to experience a lot of what I now call today, at least what, what, what's, what it was taught to me was a lot of crosstalk mm. and crosstalk where I'd be like, I am a, I am a money magnet or I am wealthy or, or I am right. Whatever. And then like my inner dialogue was like, shut up. No, <laughs> no, no way. You're, you're a liar. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to make a million dollars here. Or you don't know how to like be in a great relationship. And that's where I started to have to really address both. And so when I think of mindset, uh, Walt and Alex and both of you, like, I think there's a really important conversation to be had about the pairing of our mind and our like heart and our body. Like the two have to be aligned. There's like a phrase I've heard said before, when you're only in your head, you're dead. But when you're connected to your heart, you're smart. And so it's like, okay. if I'm only law of attractioning from my brain, but my whole body, my whole nervous system is going, shut up. That's not safe. You can't do that. You're going to still find ways to like resist it. And yeah. so when I think of mindset, the second thing I think of other than the law of repulsion is making sure that you're not your nervous system, your body is aligned with what your, your head is saying as well. So let's, let's, let's go there. You mentioned that you kind of had to go the hard route. You had to go through, you know, the rough space to kind of figure all this stuff out. And so you, yeah. you said there were stories associated with those. Any of those stories you care to share? I, I'm an open book, so I can share in whatever directions <laughs> you want. But, you know, there's a couple, let's talk the business side first, and then we can talk relationships if we want sure. to talk that side. But, you know, on the business side, um, I remember there was a revenue level that I wanted to break in one of my businesses at one point. And, you know, like I said, I thought, I thought, um, mindset, work harder, mindset, work harder was going to get me there. And that by itself, it just felt like it wasn't happening. So anyways, I went for a walk with a somatic coach and we talked mindset and we talked nervous system whenever I work with a somatic coach, because they're obviously going to address the nervous system. And I was like, I'm trying to break this revenue level. I have all the strategies in place. It's just not happening. And it wasn't not happening by like a lot. We would like come a thousand dollars short of it, five thousand dollars short of it. So it's like, we're right there. Why can't I just break through? <laughs> and the more I went inner, the more I went inwards instead of outer, I discovered that for me, the, the patterns I had around certain levels of money, um, was based on my relationship with my dad. 
a coach of mine one time said, we're not first internally wired to be successful. We're actually as human beings first wired to want to be loved, safe, and accepted. And so we can do all the, I'm going to be successful, rah, rah, or whatever stuff we want. But if somewhere within us, we don't think it's safe to do so, we're going to find a way to bump, like bump up against it. So long story to, to bring it to the next conclusion point here. As I was digging deeper, I realized that I grew up hearing my dad kind of resent people that made six figures in a year. Oh. And here I was, the revenue level I was trying to break through in my business at the time was six figures in a month. Uh-huh. And so in my but it was brain, still six figures though. Is there still figures. some sort of like connection yeah. to the whole six figure thing? And so my subconscious or my nervous system created this belief, created this story that if my dad resented people who made six figures in a year, there's no way he's going to love, approve, or accept me if I'm making six figures in a mm-hmm. month. It's going to create this divide. He might not love me anymore, so to speak. Yeah. And so I kept bumping up against that. I worked through that, and I really addressed, like, even if this happens, my dad still loves me, or God still loves me, or I still love myself. And funny enough, as you can imagine, we broke through 100K the very next month and have been over that revenue number for 36 months straight now. Hey, <laughs> but congratulations. Yet, but yet it was like six to eight months, six to 12 months almost that we just could not break through that ceiling. And I was doing all of the work ethic stuff. I was trying to focus on all the strategies, um, but there was something blocking me there. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's the side of the law of repulsion that I'm referring to. It, it, that's a great example too. I love that story. <laughs> Because it's a story that it doesn't really matter what the, the figures are. What matters is the storyline. Yeah. Anybody can identify with that storyline, no matter where they are in their life. And no matter what topic we're talking about, it doesn't have to be financial. It can be anything. I mean, you, you, you come so close to it and you can't seem to get there. Yeah. That has happened to all of us in so many different ways. Yeah. And if we can explore there, when, when we feels like we're the part that you said that I thought was interesting, well, we're trying so hard and we just can't seem to get there. Whenever that seems to be happening, at least for myself, I've really tried to train myself to do less things externally, mm-hmm. a strategy, how much harder can I work? And if I feel like I'm doing all the things and it's just, that's when I have to go internal. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's internally to like either, either the stories or beliefs that I have, mm-hmm. Or to the identity um, of who I'm being, right? You know, I, I, a belief of mine, at least, is that we create in our external world a reflection of the identity of who we are internally. You know, and we can focus all we want on habits, but at the end of the day, long term, we're going to create in our life a reflection of our identities. Like, for example, I, I gave up drinking um, three and a half years ago. I stopped mm-hmm. drinking alcohol. But for 10 years before that, I did everything to like not drink. I was like, I don't drink hard alcohol or I don't take shots and stuff like that. My, my point of that example is I was only focused on the habit of let's not drink. Three and a half years ago, I started to focus on who is the identity of Michael Chu as a non-drinker. Mm. And, and I can say, honestly, it's been the easiest thing. But for 10 years, it felt like it was something like I always would go back to beer or wine or like whatever. The thing I said I was going to write off. Because I was only focused on the external thing, the action or the habit. But when I started to focus on the identity, who is Michael as a non-drinker? My actions, my thoughts, my beliefs started to become in alignment uh, with that version of myself. So, 
Alex, I get the feeling that's resonating with you because, I mean, as he was saying that, I was thinking, well, that's Alex. That's exactly the way Alex does things. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking, how can I get this through Kenny's head because he's so trying to quit smoking. <laughs> My husband's been trying to quit since the day we met three years ago. So. <laughs> I feel Poor you. guy. He's been smoking for 20 years, so it's like, yeah, it's one of those. We've all seen people like, I'm going to quit smoking. And then like six weeks later at a party, you see them smoking a cigarette yeah. or, or whatever it is. And, and it was a mentor of mine that said, uh, if you really want to make a change in your life, stop focusing on only changing the habit. Make sure the habit is aligned with the identity. Change the identity, mm-hmm. not just the habit. And it almost feels like the rest becomes effortless. The rest starts to, you know, step up and flow. And whether we're talking about, you know, personal habits, whether mm-hmm. I, 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 have a, I have a program where we coach busy entrepreneurs uh, to get in the best shape of their lives while their business is growing and their family is thriving. And, you know, here's another story about the, like, our law of repulsion, our, our inner story. I had this client. She lost 20 pounds. She would put 10 back on. She lost 20 pounds. She would put 15 back on. She would lose 20 pounds. And we all hear that and we go, that's just what happens. That's just like, that's just, what, that's just, that's just what you do, right? And we just, we just kept digging in with her and we knew we were giving her the right strategies. But one of the unique things about our program is we don't just focus on strategy. We focus on identity. And so we dug deeper. We dug deeper with this client. And guess what? She was bullied by the jocks in middle school and high school. She was a band girl. She was a, a band geek, band nerd were her words. And something would happen subconsciously when she would look in the mirror, right when she got around 20 pounds down. She would look in the mirror and she would start to identify with, wow, I'm starting to look really fit. And when she felt like she looked really fit, she to her, there. she started to think she looked like a jock, like an athlete. Um, and she resented mm. athletes and fit people and jocks. So she would never let herself become an identity that she resented. So we had to re, we had to one, go back and reparent and, and forgive that time of her life and, and and be there to hold space for that really hard, challenging season of her life. And funny enough, as she was able to do that and then create a new identity of why it was safe to be a fit person, she not only lost 20 pounds, she got down to 30 pounds, which was her real goal, and she has kept it off for years. Nice. And so that's another yeah. perfect example where, like, Hard work and actions are important. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about like my Asian background or martial arts. I'm all about work ethic and all that. But when you start to pair this other side of it, it's like a superpower. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. One of the uh, interesting things from my perspective, whenever we're talking about identity, hmm. is people often are challenged through large chunks of their life, particularly early lives. Um just knowing what their identity is. Yeah. Just figuring out who they are. Let's talk about that side for a minute. I mean, I, I don't really know because you didn't really say it, but I kind of got the sense you were describing that about yourself as you got up into your, toward your twenties. Am I reading that right? What part specifically are you referring to that? Like I didn't really know who I, who I was. Yeah. Like I wasn't really. Yeah. 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 Like, cause you, you, you were so shy, I think is what I was thinking about. When you describe yourself as somebody who is so quiet and unwilling to speak in class, to me, that's somebody who doesn't feel really good about who they are themselves. So the yeah. sense of identity isn't well developed yet. I think there's two thoughts on that. And it's a good question or it's a good topic that I maybe haven't put tons and tons of thought into. But the, the, the first thoughts that come to mind are 
at that stage of my life, I thought two things. I thought identity was a fixed thing. Right? Mm-hmm. So many of us hear things from our teachers, our parents, our, our friends that we start to adopt as this is just who I am. Right. Like mm-hmm. I said, at the time I believed I was just a shy person, but at the time I believed that identity was fixed, not fluid. Mm-hmm. Today, I do believe identity is fluid. Today, I do believe that identity is something that can continue to be evolved. In fact, I do believe to an extent that our purpose on earth is to continue to evolve mm-hmm. our identity and get back to who we always knew we were to begin with before teachers and friends and fraternities and sororities and right, started to influence who we thought we were. And so I guess going back to that, well, I think the first thing is I thought that identity was a fixed thing, not a fluid thing. And the second thing for me at that time in my life, I thought identity was based on external things, not internal things, right? Like my identity was based on I'm a 10-time national karate champion or I'm a student council president or I'm an entrepreneur. Those things are part of my life today, but I do believe much more deeply that I am a man of integrity or I am love, right? I'm a space for love. I'm a space for abundance. I'm a space for... Uh, healing. I am a space mm-hmm. for, like, and, and I think that's a much more deeper rooted part of my identity today. And then on the external part, that's the part I'm always looking to evolve, right? Mm-hmm. So over the last couple of years, when I've seen my businesses grow, the most important question I've asked myself, every stage my business has grown over the last five years is not first, what strategies do I have to do to go to the next level? <laughs> The most important question I realized in reflection of the last five years has been, who is the version of me that safely and easily creates fill in the blank, a million dollar business, a a 50K a month business, whatever it is, who is the version of me that that is just expected in his life? That's just a part of who he is. He's not chasing it. So many of us repel away the things we want in life because we're actually chasing. We feel like we need the thing. Who's the version of me that already safely and easily knows that that's who he is? How does he think? What stories does he tell himself? What routines and habits? Who does he spend time with? What does that version of Michael's life look like? And when I ask that question, it starts to make the rest start to feel a lot easier to figure out because I'm starting first from identity and beingness, and then all the doingness happens afterwards. I love the question. I love that question completely, totally, and utterly. I do. I really do. I'm thinking when I, when I was asking you earlier about uh, what it was like growing growing up and how did you feel about your own identity? You talked about how um, you thought of your identity as being fixed at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. I was also kind of reflecting on my own time growing up because I was very shy growing up. I was, I was, uh, I was the tall, put it this way. Not only I was, I'm currently six foot eight. Okay. So I'm a pretty tall guy. Wow. In high school, I was, I, I grew about two inches a year. So, you know, I was pretty tall throughout high school and, and I started yeah. growing at the end of high school. Yeah. I went to a, a high school reunion about 10 years ago. Yeah. And we got together for like the group portrait, right? Everybody in the photo. And I found myself standing next to uh, one of the girls who were considered like the most popular girl in class, right? And she looks up at me. She says, well, I don't remember you being that tall. <laughs> And of course, the reason she didn't remember is she didn't remember anything about me at all. I was hidden <laughs> in the background. I yeah. literally hid myself all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so. How did you hide? Yeah. <laughs> You're sick. Apparently <laughs> very well. Always <laughs> I couldn't even identify that I was that tall. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, it's just always sitting, always sitting. <laughs> well, that and, and hunched over. Hunched over. I, I walked over in a hunch. I was, I, I was like, you know, don't pay any attention to me. I'm going to hide in the corner. It was that kind of an attitude. And, and when I thought about my own identity, well, I didn't do that very often. But if you had kind of cornered me on it, I would have said, well, I'm not even sure I could have been dishonest, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I, I probably could not have given you this answer, but I can give you the answer now looking back. Yeah. I felt like my identity had to stay hidden, not like mm. Superman or something like that, but I had to protect the identity. I had to put on uh, some sort of identity that everybody else would, would accept. And so I kind of tried to do that very poorly, but I felt like I had to separate the identity from my life. And that to me is a way of expressing a lack of, of understanding and belief and confidence in my own identity. And it didn't feel safe, I'm guessing, or didn't think people well, it, yeah, my, my wife experienced something similar. She, she literally hid her identity away. She thought of it as a conscious thought. I'm going to hide my identity away because I can't let it come out right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to let it come out, you know, 20 years from now, which she ended up doing. She ended up letting it out later on. But it was because it didn't feel safe. And she had good reason to think it wasn't safe. I mean, she lived in a family where um, basically she wasn't allowed to have enough food. Hmm. There's a whole storyline that went along with that, but sure, she wasn't sure. allowed to eat enough, you know? Yeah. So that that alone, that's going to set you up right there, right? You just don't have enough energy to get through the day because you don't have enough sustenance going on. Yeah. And that's just like one small example of, of how identity can be supplanted by what your experiences are, but with, with your, your, your experiences, so to speak. Yeah. They can also be taken from you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because growing up autistic, not knowing you're autistic, you mask all the time because you're supposed to be mm-hmm. at these certain standards that every other person knows these rules, these unwritten rules that no one tells anybody else about. And you're expected to live up to these standards and look a certain way and act a certain way. And then, then you find out and you're like, wait, I don't have to do this. I can mm-hmm. be myself. <laughs> People will still like me if I'm myself. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's yeah. what you went through. That was your that, experience. Yeah. 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 Wow. But had wow. I known, had I been tested and had I known who I was or what, what I was going through at a younger age, I think I would have developed a little faster. I wouldn't have had mm-hmm. to figure it out in my late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, what was that like when you started to like almost like unlearn? Like you said, I would have figured it out faster. Like, what was that like when you started to figure it out? It was a big relief. And when, when I found out, it was a big relief. And it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders when I realized I'll still have friends if I'm, if I'm me. Yeah. It's so interesting. That's a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. Yep. Cause a lot of like the work, at least I've done personally, and this is just my experience, but a lot of times, like I said, I feel like most of our childhood we're being told and we're being conditioned to figure out who we think we are. Mm-hmm. And then I think many human beings that are evolved human beings, at least in the growth world, at some point start to figure out who am I actually. And oftentimes that is just a like unlearning of all the stuff we thought we were. Yeah. Yeah. And to the part that you're saying about, I love how you said, I realized I was safe. And even if this is who I am, I'll still have friends. I'll still be loved. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and so many of like getting back to who I really am was uh, being willing to address the biggest fears that I had at times. Mm-hmm. You know, for me in my late twenties to early thirties, I was such a people pleaser and such a like achievement was the way I got love, right? Yeah. 
And so I felt like I needed to be perfect all the time. Oldest son, Asian family, great grades, good school, blah, 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 blah. And so achievements was what I believe made, you know, made me loved and made me accepted. And, uh, the, the, the part or the point of what you said that resonated with me is some of the deepest healing and work that I've gotten to is when I went to the things that I feared the most mm-hmm. and was able to face them head on and go, and even if that happens, mm. I'm still loved. Yep. Or even if I lose all my money or even if uh, my fiance leaves me or even if this client hates me or the things that I fear the most, the two biggest lessons I got from being willing to do that type of work is that one fear is one of the few things in the world that gets smaller mm-hmm. as we actually get closer to it. Yes. And then if we're willing to go through the fear, I can get to the other side. And that is, even if all that happens, I am loved. I am safe. I am great or whatever it is. And that's when I think people, at least my experience, start to really get back to who they really are and, and mm-hmm. get back to like their heart. So thank you for sharing that. I agree with that totally. And, and in fact, to me, that was one of the biggest shocks. I remember, uh, I don't remember what the exact circumstances were, but I remember the first time that I allowed myself to work, I call it working through um, mm-hmm. the pain or working through uh, the difficulty until you get yeah. to the other side. And mm-hmm. the first time I did that, I was shocked at how little time it took to get to the other side. Yeah. Up until that point, my mind had, had turned this into this mammoth, huge thing that would be completely impossible to break through with this like gigantic mountain with, you know, impenetrable metal doors. And then I actually went through, it's like, that was it. (laughs) Right. It's so crazy what worry and, and and like fear can do when we're in our head about it. That's why, that's why that quote I said earlier rings true in so many scenarios. Like when we're in our head, we're dead. Like when we're only in our head, we're dead because we make such a big deal out of it. We do. But if we're willing to just get to it, it's like, oh, that's not that bad at all. And when we're in our heart, yeah. we're smart. That, uh, it kind of resonates to what you just said there in real life application. Yeah. It's, well, that's really part of the journey is, is we're, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning to love ourselves more. We're learning to appreciate ourselves. We're also learning to love and appreciate those we're closest to more. Mm-hmm. And then the big challenge is learning to appreciate the ones, the people, the events, the experiences, whatever, that we don't like so much. That's where the hard, to me, that's the hardest part. That, that one, that's the biggest challenge of all. Um, but it's also the part, I think, where we end up with the greatest benefits, the greatest mm-hmm. growth. The when, we finally, when we can finally do that part. It's kind of like, it, it's, uh, it's like there's a beginner stage, there's an intermediate stage, and that's the advanced stage, right? But when you get through the, through that part of the advanced stage, you say, if I can do that, I can do almost anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when you say willing to do that, I'm, I'm curious what you're referring to more specifically when you say willing to do that. Because I'm interpreting oh. what I think you're saying. I'd love to hear what you, what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, God, you can take almost anything in life that you would associate with being negative. I'll take, uh, well, I'll take current events. This, and this may actually turn some people off a little bit. If it does, I apologize in advance. But right now, the war in Ukraine is big. A lot of people paying attention to it, a lot of people frustrated with what Russia did, so on and so forth. And I look at that whole conflict, that whole struggle going on there, and I don't see it the way they're seeing it. Hmm. I mean, if I, I, I agree with the majority who say, I really would wish that Russia had not done that. I don't think that was a great idea. But I don't see it as like 
the imminent threat of nuclear war, for instance. A lot of people are on that attack right now. <laughs> I just don't see it that way. And the reason I don't see it that way is because I have learned to, this is going to sound really strange to some people, I have learned to appreciate people who want to promote the nuclear war theorem. I've learned to appreciate where they're coming from. And I've learned to appreciate the people who want to threaten nuclear war. <laughs> and and as soon as I'm saying that, people are, I know there are some people saying, what the bleep are you talking about? <laughs> sure. But nevertheless, I have learned, now that doesn't mean that I'm in favor of nuclear war. Don't get me wrong. That's not it at all. I've learned to appreciate where they're coming from, what, what it is they think it's going to do for them. I know it's not going to do that for them. They, you know, I think most people realize it's not going to do for them what they think is going to happen, um, sure. regardless of which side of that fence they're on. But the appreciation of both of those sides has helped me to recognize I don't have anything to fear here because that's really what's going on. Both sides are afraid. They're expressing fear right now. And when you don't share that fear, it seems different. It just, it, it just doesn't have the angst associated with it anymore because the fear isn't there anymore. So there's a rather extreme example, but you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. So, I mean, depends on how far down the rabbit hole you really want to go. It is Thursday. Not that far for a Thursday. <laughs> no. and, and, and I don't even know where why I picked that topic. It's I you know we don't go into uh public uh public affair topics sure. around here. But uh, for some reason, that one just came to my head. I don't know why. Yeah, Maybe there was something you needed to hear. I can tell him to stop watching the news. You don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I did stop, actually. And, and I stopped for quite some time. I went back to see how would I respond by looking at it. Uh-huh. And that's when I discovered, that's when I discovered this new perspective. It doesn't affect me like it did before. Now I can tell if I keep inundating myself with it, I'll go right back down that hole again. Right, right. I can feel that. I can feel that pull there. So I don't give it a whole lot of attention, but for the amount of time I was giving it attention, it had no pull on me. Well, now you know your limits. So that's good. Yeah. (laughs) And I, and I can literally take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the biggest thing. And it, it could, I mean, that was a really angst driven topic it can be anything it can be any topic anything that's in you know popular culture anything at all that that drives you nuts or you're frustrated about or you're angry about or discouraged or disgusted or anything anything like that if you can find a way to appreciate what's going on in some way in some manner and it may take just pulling your attention away for quite some time like we like we do with news right take the attention away if you can do that long enough you can actually learn to get to a point where it doesn't affect you anymore. It's actually possible to do that. And that's, if you had, if you had told me that that was something that was possible 10 years ago, I would have said no frigging way. <laughs> I would have said that was not possible. I now know it's possible because I've done it. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think, think what if you jumped into 10 years into the future and we're talking to ourselves, we wouldn't believe it. Yeah. 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 I think so much of what you're referring to is like so many of the hardest things that we as human beings face emotionally, especially Mm. we tell ourselves that we're confronting them, but we're actually trying to like go around them, under them, over them to the left, to the side. And, you know, I think all of us have probably heard some version of like, 
the only way through is through, or you can't yeah. heal something you're not willing to feel. And like, you can't go around it. But I think the other side of that is that what we resist persists. Yes. And so we tell ourselves we're working on it, but really we're avoiding it. And then what we're really doing is resisting the fear itself. We're resisting the worry. We're resisting the thing we're scared of. I think the part of the quote that a lot of people don't talk about is what we resist persists until it expands. And then one day we get into a huge fight until one day it explodes, right? But we resist you know persists. You're young, right? that, you, you, left, you pulled in the other part that usually does get left out, but you're right. That's exactly what the quote yeah. says. Yeah. And so I think some people go, oh, I resisted, I persisted. But what they're not willing to acknowledge is there's so many times in our lives that if we resist it long enough, it expands, whether it's our health, whether it's just not looking at our health, whether it's a, 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 a bad part of our relationship that's something that needs to get confronted, whether it's a fear about money, whether it's, you know, something about our business, if the more we just resist it, like I know people that just won't look at their checking account for a long period of time because they want to resist having to face it. Well, the longer we just sit there and resist it, more times than not, the fear of that expands that until one day it explodes. And the IRS comes calling or, 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 or a divorce happens or whatever it is. And, you know, that, that was a part of my life come like my late twenties and early thirties is that I thought personal growth was always about just like doing stuff up here. But like all the insecurities I had about, I grew up in a, in a family where there's a lot of drinking or, um, or my, or my belief purely that like I was only loved when I succeeded. Like I, I literally at one point in my life felt it was, too, it was scary to lose. Like you cannot lose. Like losing felt mm. to me in my nervous system like life or death. Mm. I'm not saying it is life or death. I'm saying it felt for me in right. my nervous system like it's life or death. And if I wasn't willing to confront that every time I felt like I could lose, I would respond like life or death, fight, flight, right? All that, all those things. Yeah, caused issues in my relationships or it would cause me to like step outside of my values or my integrity if I ever felt like I could lose something, right? Because I so badly wanted to provide and to protect. And if we, if, if we, if we keep avoiding the hardest parts of our, uh, our, our beingness and our personality, those things can oftentimes just expand in one take cause like some really challenging moments in our lives. And so, the shortcut is to just go through it. And while you referenced that earlier, when you finally are willing to go through it, you're like, that was it? Or I yeah. was able to get to, I was able to, get to the other side of it that quickly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many of us, whether it's ego, whether it's whatever it is, if we could just all learn the skill of like nervous system regulation and learning how to really go to those things, man, what would happen in our own worlds and then the ripple effect in the rest of the world? Well, I think yeah. it's already happening, exactly. to be honest. I do. I, mean, I do. I, I, I think, it, well, maybe it, that's just because I have the perspective of having multiple wonderful guests on who are telling all these great stories about all these progresses that they're making in their lives. So I figure, well, the whole world must be doing that. But I, <laughs> sure. Seriously, I really do look at on, on the world in general. I still see it happening all over the place. People, it's much more commonplace. Like, it is. Yeah. There's like a general, they, they call it awakening. That's not a bad word, I guess. Sure. You know, there, there, there's an awakening going on. There's an awareness, an increased awareness. I think I would put it that way. There's no awareness going on. I would say that was one of the positives, at least from my perspective, I saw come out of 2020. Is yeah, that absolutely. A, 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 it, it was a slowdown for mm-hmm. the collective whole right. uh, for us to be willing to address mental health, for yep. us to address our own emotional health. To, mm-hmm. to, the slowdown, I think, gave many human beings the space to really have to look at their hardest mm-hmm. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um 
which was part of that awakening. And I think it was some of that stuff was probably already, not that probably, some of that stuff was already happening pre-2020, but it's almost like 2020 pulled the slingshot back farther and has become more commonplace to talk about therapy or healing or trauma or those things uh, post post 2020, which is one of the beautiful things I've seen come out of that that season of of the universe for sure. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people who just you know were very very frustrated, understandably, with the pandemic and and what was going on with it. But you're right, it, it was like we all took a collective breath, yeah. and in taking the collect, something else happened too when we took that collective breath in. And it didn't happen in a way that people necessarily recognized consciously immediately, but over time they began to realize I'm appreciating stuff before that I never appreciated before. I'm appreciating mm-hmm. being home. I'm appreciating being with my family. I'm appreciating doing things uh, that don't require me to go out and, you know, constantly be making money. They, I, I'm appreciating, uh, you know, my, my friends that I can talk to online that I wouldn't be able to talk to otherwise. I appreciate, there's like this whole list of appreciations that mm-hmm. we just took for granted. Sure. Right? Yeah. And when you get that kind of appreciation going on, of course it's going to have expansion. I mean, what else could you possibly have? Right. (laughs) What a result can there be, really? (laughs) Oh, yes. It's like less is more sometimes. And I think, yeah, 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 for sure. You you made reference a couple times now to your Asian background and and, in the context of of stuff that you were dealing with. You you also referenced how you, you want... I think you said it as being perfect. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but how you are always trying to get the perfect score or the perfect result yeah. or whatever. Did you, do you associate that with the Asian background? When you say the Asian background, what does that mean to you when you, when you're expressing that part of, of what you went through, the, the fact that you're yeah. Asian? Yeah. For, for, for my, for my upbringing, I don't know if I ever felt like I was a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. But in a weird way, I felt like I had to be perfect. I know that sounds like they're the same mm-hmm. thing, but like, it was for me having to be perfect was more of an external thing. Like I have mm. to look perfect to the world, whatever the heck that meant. Right. Um, and the reason I, I, for me, the reason I keep bringing it back to uh, Asian culture and Asian background was just as an oldest son of an Asian family. Like it felt like there was a cultural expectation to yeah. be the perfect model son or to get great grades or to be a certain way. And then, and then you pair that with the fact that I was, pretty good at, at karate at a young age and I was winning tournaments. And so now I'm used to being in first place. Perfect. Like looking, you just start stacking all these things on top of each other. And it was like so much of my journey, so much of my story was I have to be perfect Mm. to the external world to get validation, to be loved, to be accepted, to be safe. Um, And that served me at one point in my life. I I have no, you know, qualms about it. It served me at that season until there was a season where it was no longer serving me and it was hurting, whether it was my relationships or my fulfillment or my happiness or, or things like that. But that's what I was referring to when I would reference yeah. it back to Asian background it was more just the standards and expectations in the household as an oldest son of an Asian family. Because uh, I've actually had other Asian guests on the show, males, who expressed very much the same thing, that there's this, mm-hmm. and, and they all express it a little bit differently, but it, it's like this cultural expectation if you're an asian male you're expressed you're, you're expected to excel yeah <laughs> yeah just yeah. <laughs> yeah i have nothing else to say <laughs> yeah, no. yeah i hear i hear that so often and 
whether it's true or not. Or, well, well, you know, well, to me, I, I think like, there's truth to it, but I, I think the more interesting part is it, it shows, it doesn't have to be Asian. It can be any background. It shows sure. how our, our cultural influences play specific roles in our lives individually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As we're growing up, as we're becoming who we're becoming, as we're learning our own identities, accepting our own identities, building our identities, because you made a lot of reference to identity. I think it's really important, an important mm-hmm. concept and an important thing to, to yeah. come to terms with because you're the one living your life. Of course. I mean, you got to know your identity if you really want to go somewhere with your life. And to but, peel uh, it back those, one those, layer. I'm sorry. And to peel it back one layer, like, yeah, we're figuring out our identity. Something I'd said before that is that we're not wired to be successful. We're wired to be mm. loved and accepted. And right, right. I think the reason why the cultural part, whether whether someone stepped in right now and was Italian, German, French, it, it wouldn't matter. Like our cultural upbringing has a huge part of that because at those ages, that is how we stay accepted by the pack. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because when we're nine years old, our pack is our parents or our pack right. is our siblings. And so we find a way to, you know, fit in with the pack by aligning with that cultural identity. And then I think when we step outside of that, for some people, that means moving away from family. For some people, that just means being willing to take a look at it and say, is this who I am? But that's what I meant by it serves us. I think there's a period of time where our culture upbringing serves us because it allows us to be loved and accepted. And then at some point we start to ask ourselves though, is this really who I am? Is this who I really want to be? And mm-hmm. that's where the whole fluid identity conversation uh, comes back into play. That's really good because what you're really uh, talking about is how a cultural background provides a starting point. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to stay at the starting line. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever you know, serves. starting line at some point. If you're going to run the race, you can't stay at the starting line. It just doesn't work that <laughs> way. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And, and, and I had someone say to me one time, and it, while, while something is serving you, keep it. Mm-hmm. And if it's no longer serving you, cast it. And that's how we can make sure our identity is constantly fluid, is that mm. it's not that being Asian was bad. That's not what I'm saying. I, no. I'm saying it served me at one point, And then at one point, there were parts of that upbringing that I felt like were no longer serving me. And so that's mm. where I got to address, do I want to cast this belief? Do I want to hold on to this identity? As, or do I want to let that evolve? Do I want to cast it for now? Um and, and I think that's a, I think that's an important concept I have utilized as part of my journey of always wanting to let my identity evolve. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think part of the reason I was pointing to the cultural side is that culture provides perspective. Mm-hmm. And I have a great deal of respect for perspective that has actually come from doing this podcast from all the people I've talked to over the years. Because that power of perspective, the more that you actually do it, the more that you engage in conversations like this with more and more people, you, it doesn't take long before you finally begin to realize those perspectives, even if you don't agree with them, my God, those perspectives are teaching you everything. Mm. You have so much to learn from them. So when I think about the cultural perspective that each of us has, because we all have our own cultural perspective that, come from you know where we came from that that's like the starting point that's that that is the starting perspective and then when you start from that perspective and then start learning other perspectives that first perspective it's it's almost like a grounding in a sense It, it, it here's where i here's where i can stand on my own ground on my own two feet as now i'm going to start learning these other perspectives and as i'm learning the other perspectives that's part of my journey is learning those other perspectives and as I learn more and more of them, my journey starts to take on meaning, it starts to, to, to become a full life. It becomes that abundant life that we talked about. Mm-hmm. To me, perspective is 
is the best measure I know of, of how abundant life is. Yeah. It's funny like how much our perspective um, does dictate everything and how we see things. And, you know, it's like the most valuable thing we can do for ourselves is to challenge ourselves to continue to see things mm-hmm. that we once could not see, right? That's yeah, part yeah. of evolution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to how perspective can create a life of abundance a very, 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 very first coach I ever had in my early 20s, uh, I was at this very torn part of my like early career post-college. I wanted to build this business I had in New Jersey, but I had also just gone through a breakup and I didn't know if I wanted to be in New Jersey. And I really, at the end of the day, I wanted to move to Hawaii. No, okay. <laughs> I, 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 by the way, I like your dream. I love that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I remember talking to this coach and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just so torn. Like, do I, do I stay here in Jersey and build this business or do I move to Hawaii and chase like my happiness? What do I do? And I, it's, it's, this, this question has shaped so much of how I've lived my life for the last 15 ish years. And he said, why does it have to be a question about or why can't it be a question about and? And I said, tell tell me more. And he said, so. Well, let's just explore. Let's just have fun with it. What would it look like for you to build this business in New Jersey and allow that to create the freedom to be in Hawaii how you want, when you want, for et cetera? And that simple question caused me to go, you know what? You're right. I don't actually want to live in Hawaii, right? Like my family was all in New Jersey. And like the fact, like the idea of living there 52 weeks a year, I don't think was actually aligned with what I wanted. I think what I really wanted was the freedom to be able to go there for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks on end if I wanted to. I wanted to be more connected with the energy and the culture that I really love about Hawaii. And that simple question got me out of like scarcity of and like, or should I do this or this? And it got me into more of an abundant perspective of what would that look like? And funny enough, I went on to build a great business in New Jersey and traveled to Hawaii on average, most of the time, two times a year, one to three weeks. Uh, a year. That's all I really needed to feel like I was plugged into that island. And I got to build some an incredible business in New Jersey. And so it, it's interesting how perspective can dictate so much of what we create, choose, do, say uh, in our lives. That's a beautiful story. I love that yeah. one. I, one of the things I love about that story is the fact that you had a dream and you recognized at some point it didn't have to be the end all be all. Mm-hmm. You, when you realize, well, it's not, I don't really want to be there 52 weeks out of the year. I just want to be able to go there when I want to go there for a few weeks yeah. and just do what I want to do there. And that is how dreams end up evolving. Yeah. That's why dreams aren't static. That's why a static dream actually is, first of all, not likely to come true. And second of all, even if it does come true, you're not going to like it when you get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all it's just fixed in the stone. This is the way it is right here. Like, no, no. That's not the way I want it to be at all. Yeah, that's yeah. why I love that story. I appreciate that. I also love the fact that um, you, I can tell you're tying that into your idea of a fluid identity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to choose one or the other, and I could, mm-hmm. evol- I could fluidly evolve an identity of, you know, who is the version of me as an entrepreneur that lives and builds in New Jersey with freedom to travel and, it allowed it allowed that to shape the identity of who I wanted to be in that season. And because you allowed it, you ended up in where Austin, Texas. Is that where you said you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been in Austin now for four, 
Almost, yeah, four years, almost five, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't Hawaii, it wasn't New Jersey. <laughs> it asked me in 2007 when I was having the Hawaiian dream. Austin, Texas was nowhere on my radar. Right, exactly. <laughs> I thought being a Texan was cowboy hats and cowboy boots, and that, that, that wasn't on my radar. But, yeah, no, it's, yeah, that's where I am today. It's funny how these things work out. So tell us a little bit about what your life is now. Where are you at right now in, in what you're doing and where you're going? Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I, I mean, present moment, I feel like I'm in a really – emotionally uh, beautiful place. My dad died suddenly earlier this year in January. Hmm, sorry um, to do that. Yeah, right. And there was just so much shock on my body most of this year. And just recently, really this past weekend, um, and this past weekend and really over the past 30 to 90 days, I really feel like I've been coming back out of shock and into my heart and into my body. And what I found in doing so is like a reignition for love in my relationships with my family um, and my friendships and the things I passionately love, like surfing or martial arts and things like that. Um, and then professionally, it reignited a love for, you know, what we're building and who we get to serve. Because when I was in that moment of shock, I started to question, like, why am I doing all this? Um, I had days where I was like, maybe I should just shut it all down. Maybe I should throw it. And uh, so I gave myself the space and the time, to, like we talked about throughout this call, to, like, not try and go around it, but to go through it. I'm coming out the other side in love with so much of the life that I have. By no means is it perfect. There are many challenges. There's still many goals and dreams I want, but um, that's kind of where I'm at emotionally present, present day, professionally. Um, I'm just so proud of our team and the, the two incredible like business units we have and you know, for busy leaders and entrepreneurs we help them get into the best shape of their lives without fad diets in a way that's actually permanent for once, um, <laughs> in a way that levels up their confidence, their energy, their business, their relationships. And then mm. if someone's a coach or a course creator or something like that, uh, we help newbie coaches get to 30K a month. And we're just having so much fun doing that. And then we help experienced coaches and consultants that are six and seven figures already. We help them ensure that their business is sustainable and scalable um, by unlocking what we call hidden pockets of revenue by extending their LTV with our LTV method. So professionally, those are some of the things I'm focused on. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. And just really choosing to be present with where I'm at right now. So, yeah. That's fabulous. I love it. Um, I want to wrap things up here. I know you have uh, a call you have to get to, so we'll, we'll try to, to tie it all together quickly. First thing I want to do is uh, I want you to tell people how does how do people find you and what you're offering your coaching your any of the stuff that you put out there how do they find you? Yeah, I mean, just a a simple social media follow is the easiest way just to connect and follow. Uh, mm -hmm. Instagram is Mike two underscores Chu, my last name, uh, or on Facebook you can just search Michael Chu. Um, if you are a coach or a consultant, we have all types of free resources and trainings. You can just go to www.champdev.com. Uh, Champ, Champ Dev's our company name. You go to www.champdev.com. I think if you even add backslash free, but I think it automatically goes there, backslash free, um, there's, there's free bonus trainings for coaches who are looking to grow or course creators that are looking to scale and grow their business. So that's somewhere someone can just get, go get free trainings, free value, nothing for sale there. Um, 
But yeah, easiest way to connect Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And we'll make sure that we'll include a link to champion.com so that people can get their easiest. We like to make things as easy as possible around here. Make sure you include the dub, make sure you include the www. My team is not able to figure out why without the www, send you to some broken link that I don't know why. <laughs> I have an IT background. It's a DNS issue. Tell your IT guy to look at the DNS. He'll fix it that way. There you go. <laughs> I guarantee it. I promise you that's exactly where it is. There you um, go. but anyway, uh, one other thing I want to tell you before you go. And cool. that is you, you are obviously you, you have a, a, a wonderful life and you have a wonderful perspective and a wonderful story to tell. And I'm sure you've been telling your story in many places, in many different ways to many different people. A lot of people have heard you whom you'll never meet, you'll never see. Um, and you've affected them and touched them and helped them in ways that you'll never know about. And I believe that people like you deserve to be thanked for that. So thank you on behalf of the people you've helped that you'll never meet, you'll never see, you'll never know who they are. You'll never see what the result was, but you helped them. And you continue to help them. Thank you for what you do in that way. I'm chills hearing that. I, I really received that. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it put that way. And you're right. I've been on, you know, shows before and I've shared my story, but mm-hmm. I never heard the ripple shared in that way. So thank you for sharing that. You're very welcome. I, I really do believe it's a, it's vitally important because yeah. we t- kind of skip that part. Mm-hmm. But all of us who are doing all these things that we do to help reach out to people are touching people in these ways and we need to not only appreciate in ourselves but appreciate in others because well we all know what the power of appreciation is first of all and when you combine appreciation with your life then guess what that's where the magic happens so yeah so thank you very much and thank you alex for being who you are and for sharing what you share and so forth (laughs) i love the story i mean i already knew obviously the, the the story of uh of you dealing with your uh, autistic side. But thank you for sharing that again. That's a wonderful thing. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) 